Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, this is Emma Whitfield, Senior Account Manager at the Webby Awards. We're getting ready to honor the 2019 winners at the 23rd Annual Webby Awards on May 13th. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. For just one night, this year's top digital creators are gathering to celebrate the best of the internet. It's going to be star-studded with winners in attendance like Issa Rae, Emily Weiss, Hassan Minaj, Tiara Wack, and more. Follow Webby's, that's hashtag W-E-B-B-Y-S, to watch all the best moments from the show, hosted by Jenny Slate, as they happen on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It all goes down Monday, May 13th at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. All right, let's get started. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Not food porn food romance. MSG is good for you. Hot questions, even hotter wings. Four forks with some tweaks. Hey there, welcome back to the Webby Podcast. For some people, home cooking in 2019 is hard. Besides finding time in your schedule, recipe land on the internet can be a daunting place. Let's start with the fact that, for some, any act of home cooking is a decision not to tap a few buttons and have food delivered to your door. And then there's the recipes. So many recipes to choose from. Google has 39 million results for grilled salmon with lemon alone. Where do you even start? That question is what motivates my next guest to supply the internet with recipe ideas that are simple and delicious enough for Tuesday night dinner and that you can trust. David Tamarkin is the digital director of Epicurious, and he's on a mission to make home cooking easy and fun for anyone. It sounds silly now, but when Epicurious launched in 1995, it was one of the first websites to put recipes on the web, which turned out to be something the internet really wanted. Today, Epicurious is bringing tested recipes and great food content to readers all over the world. As you can imagine, David and I talked a lot about food, from his journey as a food writer to revamping Epicurious, how food media can better serve their audience with recipes and content, and how he's challenging people to a month of home-cooked meals with his recently published book, Cook 90. How did you get to Epicurious, and when did you get there, and, and how, did, how did your sort of journey with this, this really like big internet brand start? Yeah, uh, well, I got a call. You know, I was a food writer in Chicago and had been doing a lot of work for Bon Appetit. And I got a call about a job at Bon Appetit. And I, I wasn't interested in the job. I didn't want to go work for Bon Appetit. But I took the call because you take, you know, when Connie Nast calls you and you're in Chicago, you, you take the call. Sure. Uh, and um, on that call, they mentioned sort of offhandly, oh, we also have this other job at, you know, I'd be curious. We're looking for an editor there. And precisely because of what you just said, that the site is so old and so storied and really at that time sort of crotchety. I mean, no offense to 
anybody who was working there, but you know, just because of the resources it was given and, and where it stands among the Conde titles, it just had gotten a little uh, forgotten. It felt a little dusty. I, you know, I just perked up and really got excited about that idea. And you know, while I had absolutely no intention of leaving Chicago and leaving my boyfriend and leaving, you know, the house I just bought, all that stuff. I mean, I was really You're settled. Happy. You know. Yeah. I did. I did all those things. I said goodbye, boyfriend, goodbye, house, and you know, and uh, and I moved immediately because the challenge of you know waking up uh, at that point, you know, roughly twenty year website was just so exciting. There was a lot that I missed out on. I didn't get to you know weigh in on the design, but I, but what I, I liked what I saw, and I was able to editorially shape it and do whatever I wanted, and that was just that was a great opportunity. And I'm really glad I did it. What was the idea about you know freshening up Epicurious then? It was because it, it's always been about recipes, yeah, right? Yeah. So it started as a home for other people's recipes, other recipes from Condé Nast. So Bon Appetit, Gourmet, Self, uh, House and Garden, I believe was it was that a Condé title? Yeah, House so. and Garden, right, I think. Yeah. And uh, you know the, the strategy at that time, like a lot of other media companies, was. We're not going to give every brand their own website. We're just going to start a few. So there was style.com to cover fashion sites, and there was Epicurious that would handle the food stuff. And Sign uh, Newhouse was really, really loved Epi because it was successful almost immediately because it was, as you mentioned, one of the first websites to put recipes online. And, you know, the internet, that's a really great function of the internet. It was the internet's one on recipes, right? So it was just really successful. And as time went on and years went on, of course, Bon Appetit and Gourmet wanted their own sites, and they saw they were losing a lot of opportunity to Epicurious. Things became really tense. <laughs> and um, uh, now, I think we sort of worked out after probably at least 10 years or more of figuring, okay, how do we do this? How do we kind of give BA and Gourmet at the time their own identities back? And then, how, then what happens to us? What is our identity? How do we grow? We still get recipes from other sources. We still get BA's recipes, uh, but we also have our own test kitchen. And for four years, we have been pumping out our own recipes with, with our own style. And they're some of our most trafficked, you know, most successful recipes because I think that we have been successful at establishing what Epi is compared to BA and uh, what an Epi recipe is. Right. And so how do you think about that today? Is it really a place for home cooks to go get recipes and sort of like all the core information they need to be home cooks? Yeah, it's realness. I mean, that's immediately my, my first act as the editor of the site and, and, and now the digital director was to establish home cook realness as our internal rallying cry. Like it has to be, we have to be thinking about Tuesday night dinner. We can't be thinking about, you know, project cooking. We're not talking to people who are just cooking because it, you know just cooking for the super bowl like everyone wants to do david chang's pork buns on the super bowl so many people make that recipe you know it takes at least two days to make that recipe it's not what we do we have the we have that we have that recipe and we will we, we will promote it around the super bowl but um we're really more interested in how do you get dinner on the table on tuesday night and then again on wednesday night and then again on thursday and you don't like get stuck in a rut doing the same thing and how do you grow as a cook? And if you want, if you really are into cooking, and that can be sort of frustrating if you have a family and you want to try new things and you want different flavors in the house. And but you know you've, you're busy. We can come in and kind of give you some opportunity to do that. Uh, whether it's just recipes or suggestions, or we're really deep into meal plans. Or, you know, uh, 
really deep into you know the cook 90 stuff where you you kind of strategize and uh make home cooking work for you but that's what i would say we were we're doing we're we're making home cooking work for the people whereas there are plenty of food brands out there where they're they're just less interested in that and it's more about you know it's more about the food outside the kitchen it's more about restaurants and chefs and travel um but even inside the kitchen it's more about here are some amazing recipes that you will cook three times a year and that's right. that's that works for them but right. that's just not what we are yeah and i mean th- these days it's a really competitive space to be operating in i'd say right and i i think the other digital peers of yours out there would certainly be interested in talking about that a little bit because we were talking earlier, I looked up boneless, skinless chicken recipes on Google in quotes, 1.3 million results. I'm sure there's not quite 1.3 million recipes, but there, there might be. Like competing for that traffic and from a just like a media business type perspective is like a real, real challenge. Mm-hmm. So you have this great brand, which I'm sure brings people to the site because they know they trust you. But you're also trying to get people, I'm sure, finding Epicurious out there. How, how do you how do you sort of reckon with that? I feel like any digital director, any site director, the job is just dealing with the outside forces. What that's Facebook or Google. For us, it's really Google because ninety five percent of our traffic comes from Google. Right. Because this is mostly intent based stuff. This is not necessarily people being like super inspired about a chicken thigh recipe they saw on Facebook at Tuesday at eleven a.m. It's more like. They're interested in this thing, catching mm-hmm. out the point of time and the place. And- right. So, yeah. So when the Facebook algorithm changes come, you know, and now, you know, they, they're coming every six months, they don't hurt us too badly because we, it's such a small part of our traffic anyway. Right. And also to be frank, I was really thrilled when the Facebook algorithm sort of devalued publishers because we had been doing some, we had been chasing that traffic. Sure. And uh, it, it, it led to us doing some things that we just didn't feel good about. It just felt a little gross and, and I don't want to chase that traffic anymore. So good. Right. I do want the Google traffic. And we spent a lot of time climbing out of a hole that we got into after Google algorithm change maybe a year ago. I mean, I, I mean at this point, it was like 18 months ago, there was, there was a change. And over the summer, like in June, I had an offsite with my team. I was like, look at this. We've done all this work. It's been good work, true to who we are, and it's work. It's paying off. And like, we showed all these charts, like, search is coming back, blah, blah. And then, you know, in August, there was another huge algorithm change. And, yeah. we're, you know, we lost a bunch of traffic again. So we just ride the wave. I wish I could sit here and tell you, oh, I know the answer. I, and, you know, yeah. I, I'll ask you, I'll ask anybody, do you know the answer? Uh, the thing that Google seems to be favoring right now is, um, not big brands like Epi or Food and Wine or All Recipes or whatever. They're, they're favoring uh, bloggers. I think the food space is one space where bloggers are actually still a thing. Um, and uh, they're favoring recipes that have a lot of content on top, like just you know a thousand words. Maybe it's a personal story. Maybe it's about mm. the recipe, whatever it is. And then a recipe. And of course, there's lots of photos. They seem to be favoring a very rich experience very text rich very photo rich experience Hmm. um i personally don't think that is a great user experience i think if you're looking for a recipe you kind of want to get to the recipe um and i've seen that criticism all the time i see that criticism all the time on twitter and and i see people complaining about these big stories before recipes because that's what more and more people are encountering as google favors that i am looking at ways to enrich in the 
recipe experience, I do think more photos are better. I think the more photos you have, the better, especially if you can, you know, demonstrate a technique. Um, so I am looking, thinking a lot about, okay, what is the information, you know, besides, you know, a hundred word head note that we can give at the top of this recipe that's going to actually going to be useful and um, not going to make the, not going to push the recipes so far down that you have to scroll mm. to get it and it won't be frustrating. You know, I'm just really trying to think, I'm trying to just go for an, an optimal user experience, give people a really great recipe that works and give them the tools they need to make it work. I think that where Google is right now is giving me some good ideas about that. Right. Um, of course, it takes me, you know, it takes me a long time to implement those ideas. It's a product design. Um, and by the time I do, there will, be another, there will be another algorithm change. The algorithm um, change is mine. But I don't really care because I think that it's, it's, uh, it will make a better, we'll make a better experience. We will make a better recipe page. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, really. The answer to your question is, I don't know. Yeah. I'm the site director of Epicurious. I don't know how to compete on the recipes because yeah. it's very hard. It's very crowded space. And a lot of those recipes are the same recipe. And a lot of them don't work. Right. And I will say what that, you know, while, I, while we have taken hits by Google, we are still a massive recipe site. I mean, we're still... You're probably it, one of the biggest. Yes, still, we're right? still one of the biggest. And um, I think the reason why is because we were established as a place that had tested editorial recipes Re readers can upload recipes to epicurious but they're not the ones that surface in search and so and they don't they don't surface when you search the site so they're sort of more for your private use you can upload recipes for your mm -hmm. private use. um and certainly you can find if you you know if you work really hard you can find them on google but but most of what surfaces are these recipes that have gone through a professional test kitchen and do come from really trusted sources and i think that's really paid off uh, for us because we have a whole history of that and that is reputation and that's not changing anytime soon. And many of these uh, websites that have millions of recipes, well, the way they're getting millions is because lots of people just put them up UGC yeah. and some of those recipes are going to work and some of them aren't. Yeah. I mean, I, I ask you about it mostly because I just think it's a really interesting sort of dilemma that really quality content publishers or storytellers, whether they be storytellers or people who publish great recipes, sort of have these days, which is you have some sort of view on what you think is good and what people want. And then you're also contending by distributing through an algorithm that doesn't always share the same view. But at the same time, as you bring up, which is also sort of what I also wanted to get to was you do get some signals back about stuff you might not have thought of. And exactly. some of that's probably dumb and some of it's probably good and informing. And I'm sure also you're getting signals on social from what people are sharing and talking about and responding to. Whether or not it's a driver of traffic, it certainly helps inform you as an editor, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the internet recipe has not changed very much over the past 25 years. I mean, really, it, it's mostly just the same that you would get in a cookbook. And that does seem like a poor use of the internet that we should be able to give a dy dynamic experience that gives you more information and that helps you uh, better. So I do think exactly uh, what's out there right now, what some people are doing. I haven't seen it done really well yet it's uh, nobody has really cracked this code on like okay how do we do an amazing recipe online is it with tons of video is it with tons of photos i would say no and no because you, you, i think what people really want is a, is a recipe to come up fast so they can scroll it and then you know i don't want to wait on the page with these videos that then have ads which i don't think is a good experience blah 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 um but definitely the hunt is on to find a way to create a, a product that's infinitely better than what you can get in a cookbook 
obviously the fact that you can pull right. it up anywhere on the phone and search uh, that makes it better in its own but um i do think there's still tons of potential out there and that we haven't that we haven't really tapped into yet you know i was thinking about this it seems like in a lot of ways the internet's made a lot of parts of food better right like it's it's easier to whether you think this is good or bad, it's like easier to order groceries now. You can get mm-hmm. them quicker. There's all these big rec- fan of. I'm a big fan of there's, online there's grocery a, orders. There's yeah. all these. There's way more recipes. There's way uh-huh. more information. But at the same time, there's something about. So this is maybe like a high class problem, but there's also something where, like, as a home cook, it's become more difficult because there's so many more recipes to decide which one. You have to make sure you're getting, you know, you could spend your hours on the hunt for the exact recipe like people spend their hours on the hunt for the right place to go on vacation kind of syndrome, mm-hmm. right? There's yeah. too much, maybe it's not too much information, a lot of information about ingredients as it is organic, as should I get this one? I mean, there's a lot of, there's so much information really. It's paralysis of choice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. I think people who really care about home cooking will find their site, find the people they follow. And find the people they want to follow and um, latch onto that. What's really been interesting in the past year, a year or two, is this idea of the viral recipe, which I think is pretty new in the past two or three years. But um, are, you, are you familiar with the stew or the cookies? I don't. I think I've heard about the cookies. Okay. I, I haven't heard about the stew. Same same recipe developer. Her name is Allison Roman, and she works for. Uh, she worked. She was at Bon Appetit, right? Or was? Or and, okay. And she still is. She still has a column there, and she's also at the New York Times. This is another thing that's happening in the food world. Everybody is working for everybody. But uh, the cookie recipe from her cookbook went true. I mean, truly went viral. Like you would, I, you would just, you could not go anywhere if you were in the food world at all. I mean, I went to a wedding upstate last summer. Uh, I was staying at you know in a cabin in Phoenicia, New York. I, the local library, which is about as big as this room. Uh, was having their annual fundraiser. It was a bake sale. I'm addicted to sugar, so I'm like, let's go. And I go in, and there are these freaking cookies. So like, they were everywhere. I mean, they were like in the mountains of upstate New York. They were definitely in every kitchen in New York, in New York City, in Chicago, everywhere. What kind of cookies now, were they for people who aren't familiar with they're the cho- cookies? They're chocolate shortbread cookie. Okay. Very delicious, I'm sure. Good cookie. It's, yeah. yeah, it's good. Then came this stew, which is the New York Times recipe that Allison developed. It's a chickpea. It's just a chickpea coconut milk curry. My sister, who's a mother of three young children in Cincinnati, Ohio, texted me and said, "What is this stew? <laughs> just the stew, you know?" And now you know what this is. So um, that I think is really fascinating. Yeah. And to me, what that speaks to is a couple of things. One, like I said, people are going to pick. I think to deal with that paralysis of choice, they're going to find the source that they trust and they want to follow. And Allison is a very smart marketer first of all her recipes they work and they're good so you know that alone makes her someone worthy to follow but she also is putting out this whole lifestyle thing she's very cool she's on instagram stories like i feel like she's on instagram stories like 26 hours a day i don't know how she does it um and um she's cultivated a you know a persona and the sort of a vibe and people want all of that and so okay if allison's gonna if allison made this cookie recipe it's gonna be cool if she's doing this chickpea right. stew even though it's it's like aspirational it's a very, way, right? it represents something bigger than yes. just just those cookies yes absolutely so that's so so i think that that is one way that people are getting around the problem they'll just instead of searching maybe they'll just follow allison on instagram and when she has a new recipe come out and she throws it up there she's like which she does every week oops uh in in the new in the new york times thank you i'm throwing 
<laughs> for those of you who are in the room, I'm just He's throwing pencils everywhere. I'm just so, so, I'm so right. I'm so, right, right, I'm so passionate <laughs> about this. Um, so anyway, I think I think they're they're finding they're they're going to find who they want to follow. And so you have to be really strong on social. Right. Um, hopefully, some of those people are just following Epicurious, but I think a lot of them are just picking the brand instead of instead of dealing with the whole 1.6 million chicken breast recipes on the internet. Right. Right. I'll do a chicken breast when Allison tells me to do a chicken breast or yeah. when Abby tells me to do a chicken breast. Interesting. So the, the social part ends up not being so much like, oh, link to this stuff and we're going to get all this traffic from our Instagram feed. But it's more, at the end of the day, it's like brand authority yeah. and, and having people out there doing those really great things or the recipes that go viral or whatever the, your sort of view into you know, whatever type of content you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to think about you. Yeah. I, want them to think yeah. About I, I really, Instagram, I think, is a really fascinating and place and i have very strong opinions about what a brand should be doing on instagram and particularly our brand i want us to be giving service on instagram where you do not have to click out of instagram to get the service Hmm. now look we can't put a recipe or we we can put a recipe in the caption of of a photo on instagram it's not a great experience i don't think to cook from so yes we link out to recipes on our site but I want all of our posts on Instagram and especially on stories to be giving you some sort of tip, some sort of technique trip, to, you know, some sort of idea about your that you can use in your daily cooking life that you don't have to click out to and get details on the site. Mm. Because I want Instagram to be just an extension of the site, not just, uh, you know, a lure to the site. And that, I think, is a good user experience and I think really respects the reader. And whenever you do that, it actually does lead to traffic. We had 500% more traffic to our site from Instagram last year than the year before. And it's because we had this new policy of let's not try to get traffic from Instagram. Right. Of course, it leads to traffic because you're treating their user well and they want, you know, they in, in invest them. And, uh, but yeah, Instagram, uh, I think it's, Instagram, I think is really great for cooking. I use Instagram a lot. I, I use Instagram for not just for cooking, but for a lot of food stuff. Like when I went to Japan in October, I would search for hashtags for what yeah. I wanted, and then I would, you know, okay, I want to find the cool place. I'm going to find it on Instagram. Let's um, let's come back to the Instagram stuff in a second. You have something at Epicurious that you're doing. It's a big part of Epicurious brand authority these days. You've been working on there for a while, and you have a book out recently. It's called Cook 90. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Tell me when it launched. Tell me how you started thinking about that. It, well, it launched a little over four years ago on January 1st, 2016, and it was just something that I was going to do for myself and on my, in fact, I, when I first thought of doing it, I wasn't even going to put it on Instagram, but I'm like a media whore and I'm an editor and like, I'm like, you know, the, I did that flip just switches, you know, in my head almost immediately. So I was at home and I just noticing that I was getting a lot of benefits from cooking. Also that I was running a cooking site and wasn't cooking as much as I felt that I should. I wanted to get to know my readers a little bit more. I wanted to understand the you Did know, you cook a lot before you came to Epicurious? Yes, Were but I was cooking? I was a I was a restaurant critic for ten years. So right. for ten years before Epicurious, I was cooking means, very little because I was out all the time. Three dinners a night, kind of thing. Yeah, well, it was so like ten, it was like about ten meals a week, right? Which is too many, it's a lot. too many restaurant meals. Um, and so I was. That's one another reason why I was really excited to take on Epi because I wanted to. I'd been gravitating more and more t- towards um, cooking because I just wanted an escape from the restaurants. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to understand what it would take to cook every single day, every single meal, because there are plenty of people who do do that, and there certainly there are plenty of generations who did that way, you know, their entire lives. There were mental health reasons. I just wanted to. I just felt less anxiety and and uh, less OCD standing at my 
kitchen counter and cooking, I just felt a little bit more control and a little calmer. I just put up a, if you want to read more about that, you can, I just wrote a very um, exposing essay about that for healthiest. And, uh, and I just wanted to, I don't know, I just, I like cooking and I wanted to become a better cook. And I just thought, so all these things came together and I thought, well, I'm just going to cook everything I eat in January. Every single thing I put in my mouth, I'm going to cook. Were you like a big challenge person before that? You no. know, like one of those people who's sort of like, I'm going to, no, okay. Ne- never. And I also uh-huh. sort of like rolled my eyes at New Year's resolutions because I'm like, right. well, that's, that's just dumb because why, why pick this arbitrary day to, to be better? It just felt very cliche. And that's why I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody about this. It's going to be mm. a secret between me, myself, and my boyfriend. And then, like I said, the next day I just threw on my Instagram, put a hashtag on it. I mean, I went to the complete opposite. Like, you know, follow me, do watch me do this. Um, but it resonated with people. I mean, I, I did not ever think that anybody else would want to do it. But that first year that I was doing it, you know, I saw other people using the hashtag and jumping in, you know, halfway through. And I was like, oh, I should have given people a heads up. So that's what I did and became a, a tentpole at Epicurious. It was really good because I was looking for a way to do the whole new year, new you thing at Epi, but not do diet. Not, right. Um, because I'm not really interested in telling people how to eat. And I think diet culture is really problematic and blah, blah, blah. Also, it's what everyone else does. It's a cliche. I wanted to do something different. So this feels very true to Epi's core. We're just going to, you're to become, if you want to become a better person this year, cool. You can do that through cooking. You can save money. You can, you know, it's good for your physical health. No matter what you cook, you you know, it's good for your physical health. It's good for your relationships. It's good for the environment. All sorts. I think there's all sorts of great benefits to home cooking that you get from really going in deep. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's funny, you also, it's one thing I was thinking is that you, you were mentioning there that like, you know, years ago people used to do this. Right, home all the time, but even and they love to remind me of that. By the way, they, I get lots of emails like, I "What? What makes you so special?" Like I, I've been doing this for the past fifty years. Sure. Like slow your roll, days. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but um, even in New York or in Chicago or San Francisco, in urban areas, it has become way easier to order takeout than it was like three years ago. And which is not to say that people weren't ordering takeout; they were. People ordered lots of takeout. They went and got food. But I mean. I mean, it's, so it's many like opportunities not to cook. Yeah, it's, yes. I mean, it's much, much more just in the past few years, than mm-hmm. mostly because of the internet, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mad about that. I mean, I'm honestly, I, I think that there are lots of companies out there that want you to believe that cooking is a waste of your time. And I think that cooking has been sort of stigmatized. Um, a couple of years ago, I couldn't get on the subway without seeing an ad for Seamless, which I don't know if Seamless is nationwide, but it's part of Grubhub, you know, it's just a delivery service. And they had all these ads on the subway that were, 
just blatantly attacking cooking. One of them said, cook when you're dead. Right. And then in parentheses, or when you're living in Westchester, you know, one another said, said, avoid cooking like you avoid Times Square, which, you know, anybody here who doesn't live in New York, we avoid Times Square because it's an awful place, right? So right. to associate cooking with an awful place full of tourists that you want to avoid, to me, it was just like so enraging. I was just like, this is so... Uh, look, see, I, I can't even talk about it. I'm so mad. Um, it just, it, it just sell me a service I don't need by convincing me that cooking at home is lame, not worth time, worth me spending more money to feed myself just to not do. Like, I just don't, I, I thought that was so, and I still think that's really um, a poor service to the world. So I'm kind of mad about that. I mean, I just felt like yeah. the kind of cooking was really under attack. Well, so for the people who do, love cooking out there. You must have discovered lots of little tips and tricks for uh, cooking 90 meals. The one that sort of I gravitated to was like the next over concept, which I think I did one time on accident before I had heard you <laughs> yeah. name it that. Mm -hmm. And then I, when I read about that, I was like, oh my God, I think I did that one time, you know, and, but uh, which is basically trying to use some food that you might've cooked the day before or for a previous meal right sort of repurpose it um, into like the next meal and sort of sort of saving the amount of cooking that you have to do to constantly be making food. Right. The reason why that happened to you is because it's a very natural thing that happens in the kitchen. I just put like a term on it. Um, when you cook every day, you get into a cooking cycle and one meal just always kind of informs the next because that's the economy of, of, of home cooking. So if I have a, some, you know, steamed potatoes left over, and it, from Friday night's dinner, I'm going to like smash them and fry them up with my eggs on Saturday morning. That's just how it goes. So next over is, is doing, taking that natural cycle and making it more, even more intentional. So anytime, basically anytime you turn your oven on, anytime you're boiling water, if you're, um, you know, making pasta, if you're roasting sweet potatoes, if you're roasting chicken thighs, whatever it is, do double of that. Save the other, the stuff that you're not going to eat that night. And turn it into something else the next day or the day after. And it's different from leftovers because you don't do the same thing. So a good example is the cover of the book has these sweet potatoes that you stuff with like chorizo and mushrooms. You know, it takes the same amount of time to roast one sweet potato as it does eight. So you roast eight and the other four you don't use the night you do the stuffed sweet potatoes. You chop them, you put into a curry. And because those sweet potatoes are already cooked, the curry you make, which by the way is very similar to the stew... <laughs> it just has sweet potatoes in it you know it takes 25 minutes less because the longest part of making a sweet potato curry is cooking the sweet potatoes right. well that's that's already done right so that's a that's that's sort of a game changer when you intentionally think about that because then your, your cooking just gets so much faster now i want to say something i say it in the book and i and i just say it every opportunity i get i don't believe that home cooking has to be fast i don't think that faster is better right I think that cooking is a really great thing. It's a really can be really fun, can be really centering, can be a really good way for you to connect with the people you live with. Um, and it can be what you do that night. Like you can go home on Tuesday night and say, okay, what am I doing tonight? Oh, I'm cooking dinner. And so it could take an hour. An hour's not really that long. Um, but I think that meal kit services, delivery services are always telling you, you know, save time. Save time by doing this. Save time by getting your ingredients sent to you in the mail pre-chopped. Save time by, you know, using Grubhub and having the food delivered. 
save time for what like what what, what's more valuable i mean people want to watch netflix david i know i know (laughs) i know they do and i'm into netflix too uh but like but i i I do think we can like shift our thinking and think okay well sometimes what i'm going to do tonight is i'm going to make dinner yeah and that's going to be my activity for the night that's how i'm going to spend my time as opposed to i got to get through this so i can do something else yeah, I mean, we do live in a, a culture of like nobody supposedly has enough time and everything that you're. Yeah, has and to this do. boggles me. Like, for, I just don't know. When, and and but to be fair, you know, I'm I'm a dink, right? I'm double income, no kids. You know, I just live with my boyfriend in Manhattan. Like, I'm like, I'm. It's obnoxious for me in some ways to tell people. Right. Just you're the just cook for two hours time. on Tuesday. Yeah. I don't have any kids. You know, I don't I don't know what that's like. You, we were talking about Instagram a second ago. We can talk about it some more. But how do you how do you think? whether it's Instagram or other social media, the impact that's had on home cooks, right? Because on the one hand, it's, it is inspiring from a discovery perspective. You see stuff and it's like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And there's a lot of information. On the other hand, there is a certain amount of like, oh my gosh, does my stuff have to, you know, like it's intimidating yeah. on some level, right? Just, mm-hmm. and, and does food all need to look that good in order to taste good? You know I mean? Yeah. We didn't usually, we didn't used to sort of judge our food by how great it looked in this little like one inch by one inch square, Right. Um, yeah. You Instagrammed your whole challenge there, your whole right. journey. Right. I mean, your photos look pretty good, right? Thank you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're an editor of a publication. And I had my photo editor gave me a light. It. And right. I have my little blogger light that I shine on it. And, you know, yeah, and I edit it in Snapseed. You know, I do, I, I, I put a lot of, I'm trying to, I'm. You're promoting you know, I'm, good I'm, food. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm promoting, right. I'm good. promoting yeah. my brand and Cook90, Epi, all this stuff, the book. So, um and I do get feedback from a lot of people who do Cook 90. You know, I have 150,000 people doing Cook 90 or yeah. signed up to do it. I don't right. really know how sure. if, they, if they do it. But I get a lot of emails and messages. It's really more because it's, their family's doing it. So it's like three times the amount of 150,000. That's right. probably more it's 400,000. Really, it's, it's probably like everyone in America, exactly. a little bit of Canada. And then Argentina is just really into it. What do you think about that? Just like how is sort of so, like the visual element of food, which is so popular these days, how it's impacting people cooking yeah i mean i get feedback from them saying you know i'm doing this but i'm not posting my photos because they're not good enough or like do we do i have to post the photos to do that of course i'm like no you don't i mean it's it's the least important part i do think that there is i think it's been good and bad i I think it's the point of a lot of i mean the point of me putting my foods on instagram is is to be inspiring is to is to show what can be done on a wednesday night and the point of the reason why i follow a lot of people is because I want to be inspired. You know, I follow uh, Nigel Slater, who's this cook in London. He has a rights for the Guardian, I think. Very famous food writer in London. I want to cook everything he eats. He's so inspiring to me. He's so his stuff is so simple and so surprising, and it's just great. So I think it goes both it goes both ways. I do think there's been a lot of pressure put onto home cooks, and that Instagram and especially food television has contributed to the death of cooking, or not. Not that it's fully dead yet, but it is dying. I mean, less unless people are cooking now than than ever. And I do think that part of the reason why is because they see cooking as a as a sport almost, right. and they're the spectators. It's something that other people do that the pros do. You know, it's yeah. like playing people who play, you know, tag football on Thanksgiving. You know, I hear people do that. I hear straight people do that. Uh, <laughs> And, um, you know, it's the one time a year they play, they play football. The rest of the time they're just watching and they're just fans. And I think that's sort of what cooking is, has become in a right. lot of ways. As, as people want to watch it and they're really into it. 
and they and they really think it's yeah. cool, but they don't see it as something that they want to do. And we much. watch all these contest shows, right? Where right, we're rooting. Right. Or it's for, literally a sport. Then. And yeah, we're yeah. rooting uh-huh. for them, and we're right. like, this one is must be the winner. But none of us, have, none of us, have tasted it. And right. We have no right. idea. Right. We have no idea. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about um, you've written a bunch about food waste as well. Yeah, and I was telling you, I I felt like in that just you know looking at the book and some of your stuff on food waste, I felt there was some connection there. And one of the things I was thinking about the next overs is that you know it's really hard to do that if you're not cooking all the time because you need to have right. that like place for the five roasted potatoes to go the next you have to day have a plan and, for them yeah. and you always end up kind of having something you know mm-hmm. and like uh, I I think I was saying like I you know I. Over the weekend, I took some brown rice I had and I put it in this thing on the weekday and I was like, woo, I saved food. But you're doing stuff like saving, like reusing and figuring how to use like the stems of like rosemary. And I mean, you're like hardcore. Yeah. Well, I do think, I mean, I think that one surprising thing is that home cooks are far more wasteful than restaurants, right? Not in terms of maybe plastic use or disposable, you know, utensils or something like that. But but in in almost every, every resource... We have in our homes most of it is used in the kitchen whether that's gas electric water and of course food so it does really pay to be really conscious about it and i just think that the more intentional you can be about your cooking and how you operate in the kitchen the less stressed out and less wasteful you will be and so everything about cooking i need goes back to a meal plan mm-hmm. which i hesitated to say because i just think that it's sort of lame. A meal plan to sound so <laughs> lame. And it's like, it's not so much, it sounds so like, it sounds so mommy blogger and I'm not a mommy blogger, but I just, it's just about, about doing things intentionally and really thinking about, okay, yeah. what am I doing this week? Am I going out tonight? Then I'm not going to buy food for tonight. I'm not going to buy things that are going to perish. Thinking about, you know, okay, what's in my fridge? What's going to go bad first? I need to use that tonight. Like I can't, I don't want to wait because it, it just drives me crazy to, to see food be wasted. What do you think about all those sort of like meal planning sites and apps? There's like Plan to Eat and some of these other like different tools, digital tools that are out there to help people with this. Or do you think it's really just the end of the day? It's a lot of effort and you got to put the effort in really. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't used any of those. I think that's cool. I think anything, I think a meal planning app could be cool. I just use a piece of paper. I mean, you know, but uh, I do think it does take, you just have to sit there and figure it out. And that does take time, but I think it's I think it's worth it. Again, it goes back to the time thing. Like, what else are you using your time for? I just wrote this thing about, you know, a couple of years ago, I was stopped on the street by a meal kit salesperson. Basically, you know, yeah. they I don't know if you remember, but they were on the street. They used to right on the corner out here too, on twenty first and or twenty third yeah. and sixth. They used to be out here all the time. Yeah. Do you like to cook? I was like, yeah. It's like, okay, but do you like to shop? I was like, yeah. And she's like. Well, how do you, where do you find the time? I'm like, what do you mean where do I find the time to shop? Like, I didn't know that was optional. I mean, this is like, this is very basic. Like, we have to eat. We have to feed ourselves. Like, are you going to ask me, like, where do I find the time to, like, drink water? Like, where do I find the time to to swallow? Like, I I don't understand. (laughs) Like, I have to do these things to stay alive. If I don't shop, I don't eat, you know. Where do I find the time? I I don't think I have a choice to not spend time on this. It's important. I have to spend time on it. Anyway, the food waste thing. I, 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 I think subconsciously maybe it's connected to Cook90 really because it really is about like creating an ecosystem in your own kitchen and, and getting like on, like I said before, on that cycle and then kind of using everything. And definitely when you're on Cook90, have a meal plan and make a shopping list. I, you know, I go shopping and I cook my meals and at the end of the week, my fridge is empty. Like I'm, I've used everything I bought. 
which is a really good feeling because then I start all over again and I feel very, I feel good. I feel self-reliant and like I haven't done, I haven't wasted anything. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to do that. I mean, even like, uh, you know, like um, a lot of people shop at Trader Joe's and uh, oh, I know. Yeah, you we, know, get, we get lots of requests for Trader Joe's content, and you know, tra- you know Trader Joe's is really affordable. The food, especially yep. not the, not the packaged food, not that I think it is or isn't bad, but like the you know the vegetables and the meat and all that is very affordable. It's good. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. does come in specific quantities, which you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like little potatoes in a bag that are a certain size, and you mm-hmm. might need two of them or one, and you might. I mean, so you end up with a lot of little. Sort of like things yeah. hanging out, right? Yeah, and right. Um, you know, it can be challenging. And a lot of people, they, maybe they should be spending time on this instead of on watching Netflix. But people do, for whatever reason, feel time challenged, and it's a lot of intentional stuff. What's what's um, well? I, I, yeah. I got the way to say, yeah. I mean, I I get a little uncomfortable whenever I talk about this because I do feel like I get on a soapbox, and I and ultimately, I had to like my editor had to force me to not put a page in my book that says. Maybe you don't like to cook. That's fine. Like, if you don't like to cook, that's cool. You don't have to do this. And he's like, you know, bro, you got to, like, just realize that, like, if people are picking up this book, you, you can assume they want to cook, you know. Um, but I do want, like, I, I the, the truth is I do, I do not judge if you don't want to cook. If sure. you don't want to, I don't think that's, I don't think it's a moral thing. I don't think you're a better person if you cook. But what I'm about to say is I do think it would be very useful for people to under, to have some basic cooking skills so they can understand what to do with those leftovers so they don't look at the fridge and like okay i have like three potatoes and like half a bunch of asparagus and like some greens that are about to go bad i don't know how to put all this together i mean just some basic stuff like frittata stir fry you know soup you can take care of all that stuff in one fell swoop you yeah. know but if you don't have that knowledge and then, then right then then you're stuck and you're wasting stuff We'll put more about the the book in the show notes. It's Cook 90. I want to talk to you a bit about um, restaurants. You're a restaurant critic. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that I'm just really super fascinated about is how, A, how has the experience of being a critic, do you think, changed in the world of like you could see every single dish that exists before ever going to the restaurant? Yeah. And how has it changed restaurants? Not just the critic part of it, but how do they operate differently that you see from how do restaurants really have operate? to market you know yeah. on some levels they're like marketing the they're like marketing the dish last night i went out to a very good restaurant in at the bottom of the met brewer the floor bar and i went with my partner at six o'clock and i noticed on the floor bar's website that they were like oh sunday night is is the night when we do like roast chicken and all these sides and it's like a special sunday night thing and i was like let's go get that again we were there at six o'clock you weren't the only person because there. the Guggenheim closed at like five thirty. We walked over. I was like, "We're having an early dinner. We're old. Let's go do this." And, you know, um, they were sold out of the chicken, <laughs> and I was like, what? "And I asked the server. I asked. I was, I was like, I was like, really? I wasn't mad about. It. We we ordered everything. Everything was delicious. But I was like, how? How? What time do you have to get here to get the chicken? <laughs> I mean, like, it's a dinner thing. And she's like, I don't know. It's just Instagram. It's just Instagram. Like, the, the, like these things catch." I didn't even know it was an Instagram thing. I haven't yeah. even like checked to confirm that she's right because I couldn't even find any press about it. It's just solely through Instagram. So I mean, how so? How has Instagram changed the restaurant experience? It's made it in some ways. I think it's made it a little annoying, uh, a little cultier. I mean, I, my entire career has been, especially when I was a, well, definitely more when I was a critic, watching restaurants and chefs become culty, like seeing chefs become celebrities and seen this sort of like chef chef worship in there in every city there were chefs that could do no wrong and that they could open like the most mediocre 
restaurant and people would flock to it and, and say that it was good because, you know, because not only, you know, was her cachet and eating there, but like the media was behind it too. The media just like got behind these people. And it's just like, it's, it's just like anything. It's like music or, or, or movies, like, you know, like Tom Cruise isn't good, but like people, like, you know, people think he's good. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, not that much is good. I mean, the, this was my take as a critic. My right. take as a critic was most of it's not good. Most right. of it's not that great. This also maybe explains a little bit more about why I wanted why I wanted to be at home cooking because I just truly believe that most meals you eat out are not very good right. um, in my opinion. So as a critic, I was very tough because I wanted to make sure that nobody went to a restaurant because David Tamarkin recommended it and it was disappointing because a lot of times when people are going out, they're going out for a reason. It's their anniversary, it's their birthday or their parents are in town, right. you know, especially if they're going to a place that, that's expensive. So I was super tough on restaurants and they... I was not well liked in the chef community in Chicago. So you um, ran away from Chicago. Yeah, so I ran away. I was run out of town. One thing you were saying that was sort of interesting is is that and sort of you're relating it a bit to like hype, right? And mm -hmm. that it sounds like there's like these dishes that kind of get like hype and whether they go viral and become the stew or not, but right. in restaurants. Yeah. And they track people. And I guess the kind of the question is then like if it was great on Instagram, does that make it great for them? I mean, there was a millennial pink table at Dimes in the Lower East Side that so many people went. They only wanted to sit at that table because they wanted to get that Instagram shot from above because that was a thing, a cachet thing that they had to take the table away because no one else wanted to sit at any other table in the restaurant. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess the question then becomes like, well, what is the purpose of a restaurant? Is it to eat a, a really good meal or is it to have an experience that you can put on Instagram? One of those experiences is not necessarily better than the other. It's just different. I do think that restaurants feel pressure, just as publications like Epicurious feel pressure to put something out there in the world that is going to get a lot, lots of eyes and and go viral. And you know, my first year at Epi, we did a Thanksgiving recipe. We called it Veg Duckin. It was a vegetarian play on turducken. So it was a, right. it was a butternut squashed stuff with a another squash stuffed with a sweet potato stuffed with a tiny scallion and there was all this stuff in it was like and it took like four hours to make and it looked crazy and 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 it did go viral and we were like so excited like how can we do this again like we did we did beer can braised cabbage instead of beer can chicken right. we did beer right. can cabbage which looked like a brain and everyone said so you know uh so i don't necessarily think that's the right i think you make you i think you end up making decisions for sort of the wrong reasons right. editorially and do chefs like and, it? And, 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 you know, yeah, and culinarily. Yeah. No, I don't think chefs like it. I no. think everyone would love to just be able to do their thing, do what they want to do, and and not have to chase chase the traffic, whether that's foot traffic to your restaurant or traffic to your website. But ultimately, if you want to make money doing what you want to do, you have to have the dishes on your menu that you care about and that you love. And you also have to do the thing that you think is going to pop on Instagram so that people can come in and you can continue to you can have a livelihood. David Tamarkin, thank you so much for joining us. This is a fun conversation. I appreciate it. Congratulations on everything at Epicurious. Congratulations on the book. So I really encourage people to, to try the Cook 90 too. Thank you. Thanks so much to David for stopping by the studio. Be sure to pick up a copy of Cook 90 and consider taking his Cook 90 challenge. If you enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you took a few seconds to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
To learn more about the Webby Awards, visit us at webbyawards.com, W-E-B-B-Y awards.com, or on social platforms at the Webby Awards. And don't forget to follow hashtag Webbies, that's hashtag W-E-B-B-Y-S, on May 13th to catch all of the action during the 23rd annual Webby Awards. As always, you can reach me on social at DMD Likes. Our producer is Terrence Brosnan. Our writer is Jordana Jarrett. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is your kind and considerate neighbor. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is The Webby Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.